I want to add my welcome to those of you who are new here. My name is Alex. Really glad if you're joining us for the very first time. And uh, I've asked Elizabeth to hang out up front here with me uh, while we do a little bit of a family business. Uh, last spring, we talked about the reality that it's never been more complicated or challenging to be a kid or teenager or to be a parent or grandparent of kids or teenagers than right here, right now. And so in last spring's budget, we introduced a new staff member's position to help kind of just come alongside families to equip them to walk through the challenges of this season and uh, raise up teens in the faith and kids in the faith. And so the director of family ministries position was something that we voted on last spring. And this past week, we uh, are delighted to report that we hired Elizabeth Lindbergh here to be our new director of family ministries. So welcome, Elizabeth. We're so glad that you are here. So great. Uh, Elizabeth has been around since Easter 2021, right? Is that right? To our, to our church community. And Elizabeth is like small group leading. Elizabeth is writing for the Connect Devotional. And Elizabeth has had just God doing new things in her heart. She's been going back to school, seminary, so much fun to take classes and be a, a big nerdy student all over again. And is on track to uh, get a master's degree here uh, eventually, right? Yeah, that's going to be great. And uh, we're just so delighted to have Elizabeth's uh, skills, her passion, her heart. She's been digging into this a whole field of family ministries uh, and looking at different models and different churches, what people are doing. And uh, she brings a lot of uh, just a uh, heart for God and a heart for families. And we're so glad to have you. So Elizabeth, thanks so much. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Yep, absolutely. Thank you. If you are just joining us, we are wrapping up a series today called Inner Strength, uh, Building a Resilient Core. And just the idea is, wouldn't it be great in a world that's sort of battling with so much anxiety and depression in the world to be more resilient in the face of all the challenges that we face uh, along the way and ups and downs of life. And the last few weeks we've been talking especially about, wouldn't it be great for Chatham Community Church to be a resilience-building community, like a resilience-contributing community? Because not all groups of people are resilience-creating, are they? You've been in communities. You've been around people that aren't exactly uh, contributing to resilience. Some of them are soul-sucking, life-sucking, right? How many of you have been in a community that was just draining to you? Coworkers, family members, whatever. It could just be really, really challenging. We believe that God wired us up for community that is resilience-creating, that we are contributing to one another, kind of flourishing and growing and being more healthy because that's what, we, that's what church is supposed to be. That if you came in here beat up and exhausted, got plugged in, Made some relationships, you leave healthier, more whole. Came in here lost, leave found. Came in here anxious, left at peace. Came in here sort of lonely, leave befriended. Came in here maybe all tangled up in sin, shame, guilt, pride, arrogance. Leave here equipped to live a life of faith, hope, love, wisdom, courage. Now, to help us to become that kind of community, that kind of church. We've been walking through uh, our core values. Our core values of each of the last few weeks, we've been looking at these about being relationally connected, gospel-centered, biblically guided, generous-hearted. These were all here before I got here. I'm so grateful for the team that put these together because they're so helpful and so uh, such a helpful way for us to think about church. And if you miss any of these series, it's all online. You can go catch up. And today we're talking about being outward-facing. What does it mean for us to be an outward-facing community? Of course, this is in contrast to inward facing and and here's the challenge uh for every group of people any community anywhere no matter what you're doing the the natural drift the gravitational pull is to being inward facing we're gonna slouch to being inward facing just taking care of our own needs right that's true if you're in a church world it's true if you're like a bigfoot believers association right like it doesn't matter what community of people we're talking about all communities are gonna drift toward sort of tending to one another on an inward sort of a way and and on the other hand it makes sense too because if we're talking about building resilience, 
How do we build resilience? Well, one of the most natural ways to build resilience is to stockpile all the resources we possibly can, look to one another, and make sure we're going to be okay. Isn't that how you create resilience? Just prepare resources, stock up resources, and make sure we're going to be okay? Now, that's the natural math. But the math that we're talking about today, the math that Jesus invites us into, the kingdom of God math, is this. That once basic needs are met, and that's important, resilience comes through being outward facing, not inwardly stockpiling. Like, once our basic needs are met, and that's important, right? That, that resilience as a church and individually comes through being outward facing, not inwardly stockpiling. So we care about meeting the needs internally, right? We've got uh, small groups that are places for people to connect. Every year we give away thousands of dollars in gas cards, gift cards. We pay people's bills. We help repair people's houses. We do all kinds of things to care, take care of our community. We've got a congregational care team that will bake fantastic meals for you if you have a baby or if you're in the hospital. We've got a dart team of people that will show up and mow lawns for widows and clean out gutters and do all kinds of amazing things. And so those matter. We are a family, and we're going to care for each other like family, right? That's what church is. And once those things are accounted for, once we've got those basic structures in place, the scriptures teach us and Jesus teaches us this counterintuitive thing that resilience comes not through stockpiling more stuff, making sure we got more and more and more to make sure we're going to be okay, but by being outward facing, looking out into our community. There are people out in our community outside of us that don't know God's love. We long to be an outward facing community that's asking the question, how might we demonstrate God's love to our neighbors who don't know it? There are needs in our community that the church is positioned to meet, or at least make a dent in. There are opportunities for beauty and good that we're also positioned to step into and help create. We want to be asking the question, God, what's out there and who's out there that you're calling us to serve? What does it mean for us to be your people? Jesus taught this great, beautiful prayer. And the opening of this beautiful prayer is that, that God's kingdom would come and God's will would be done. Us being outward facing is saying we're willing to be part of the answer to that prayer. We are willing to be part of the answer to the prayer that God's kingdom might come and God's will might be done in our community all around us as it is in heaven. And of course the person we learned this from is from Jesus himself. Right? In the passage we're looking at today, we get a picture, a snapshot of how Jesus sort of handled himself, how he conducted himself, and also how he equipped his disciples to also live and kind of do ministry as an outward-facing community. And we're in Matthew chapter 9, and that Elizabeth just read for us. And at the beginning, kind of the previous chapters, we got all kinds of Jesus traveling and teaching, and crowds are gathering around him. And he's moving from town to town. And end of Matthew 9, where we picked up, is almost like a summary of how Jesus conducted himself, what he did. And this is how Matthew 9, verse 35 opens. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Well, we have a, uh, we have a circle of friends that uh, my wife and I like to hang out with, and we, 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 met with, we met these people back when we all had kids, and all our kids were doing stuff like together, soccer, and all the things that they were doing, and, and that's how we got to know many of these families, many of these couples, and then as our kids have gotten older, they've gotten into other activities and other things, but my wife and I have said, we actually like these people, and we want to prove that we can still make friends. 
Because you're at a point in your life where you're, for, for a while you're codependent on your children to have friends. And we're like, no, we're breaking the codependence. We're going to show everybody we can make friends too. And so we have fought to try to keep the circle of friends. We get dinner together every couple of months. Try to get together and connect and catch up and see how things are going. And, and whenever we send out like a text on the text thread to get together, one couple you can always count on to give the exact same response. No matter what's happening in their lives, no matter how far out we plan it or schedule it, they are always a strong maybe. Strong maybe. Strong maybe. Hey, can we get together in three weeks? We're a strong maybe. So this last week I sent out a text thread to this group of people. I said, hey, can we get together in a few weeks? I, I put out a date. I said, I'd love to hear from everyone except for Fred and Joanna, who I already know are strong maybes. Strong maybe. It's, a, it's, it's their natural predisposition toward life to not commit to too much. They have plenty going on the family calendar, and they're not people who like to commit too much in advance, right? All of us have natural dispositions, and that we practice those things over and over and over again, right? You commit to things, you are hesitant to commit to things. You move towards new opportunities, new responsibilities. You move away from new responsibilities, new opportunities. All of us have these habituated sort of default postures into the world. And in this passage, we get Jesus's default posture in the world. It's the first two words, Jesus went. That was his posture. Jesus went, all the towns and all the villages. Now Jesus went and traveled to all the towns and villages when Jerusalem was clearly the capital, the religious capital of the ancient Jewish world, right? If you wanted to be a famous rabbi, you hung out in Jerusalem. All the people came to Jerusalem for festivals and feasts and all the power brokers. If you want to climb the religious ladder, that's where the people are. That's, that's where you need to build alliances and allegiances and know and be known. He could have just camped out in Jerusalem and let everyone come to him, but Jesus went to where the people were. He didn't wait. He went. And so we want the Chatham Community Church story to read, Chatham Community Church went, not Chatham Community Church waited. We want our story to read, Chatham Community Church went into the community, into the neighborhoods, out into the world and said, hey, what are the needs out there that we can meet? Who can we help? How might God prepare us to serve these people in this community? What difference can we make in the world right around us? We, wanna, we want our story to read, Chatham Community Church went, not Chatham Community Church waited. Not because we're so great, but because that's how Jesus did it, and we're following him. In fact, at one point Jesus, at one point Jesus says, hey, look, I'm only doing whatever I see my father doing. I'm only doing whatever I see my father doing. And so Jesus is constantly asking the father, what's next? Where next? Who would you have me to serve next? Jesus is constantly opening his heart up to the father saying, father, what would you have me to do next? Where would you have me to go next? As a church, we want to be constantly asking that question as well. Good father, what would you have us to do next? Who would you have us to serve next? How might you call us to be looking out into the community and seeing people the way that you see them and serving them the way that Jesus served them? Tonight, it's the second in a series of prayer gatherings where we're asking God what's next and we're specifically asking God about Siler City. Would God open a door for us to plant a campus in the western part of the county that we might serve all of Chatham County? This is a second of a four-part series where we're just gathering in prayer on a Sunday night to ask God, what's next for Chatham Community Church? Is this something you'd have us to do? So we're meeting tonight at 7 o'clock down in Pittsburgh in Chatham Mills, and we invite you to come and join us. Open-handed, there's no agenda, except for us to ask God the Father, what's next? 
Who's next? How would you have as a servant? If God says no to Siler City, great. That means he's got something else for us to do. But we want to be a people who are constantly asking, what's next? Next Sunday, Chatham Mills. Next Sunday, Chatham serves, like serving the people, serving the community. That's the thing that we want to practice and be a part over and over and over again. We want to be people who are serving. Now, it's not enough just to go. It's not enough just to go. The purpose for your going matters, right? You can go somewhere and be a tourist, right? Take pictures. You can go somewhere and see what can I get from these people. You can go somewhere and say, how can I show these people how awesome I am? You can go someplace and somewhere for all kinds of reasons and all kinds of motives. We get what Jesus does from Matthew and Matthew's description of what Jesus has, is going and doing. Here's what Jesus does. Jesus' purposes for going are to proclaim the kingdom of God and do spirit-fueled earthy stuff. Proclaim the kingdom of God and do spirit-fueled earthy stuff. In Jesus' case, he is healing people. That's spirit-fueled but very earthy Stuff. First, Jesus proclaims the kingdom of God. Jesus teaches what is true, right, and good. Because when your thoughts are chaotic, cluttered, and built on lies, chaos, clutter, and lies will ruin your life. But the truth of God's kingdom sets us free. You start to map your life according to God and God's kingdom, God's priorities, God's values, what God's about. You start to orient your life around God's kingdom coming, God's will being done. That's the truth that sets people free. So Jesus goes out and unashamedly proclaims the kingdom of God is near. Repent, change your life, change your thinking, and map it out according to God's kingdom and what his kingdom is about and what he's doing in the world and what he created you to do and how he designed you to be. So there's teaching and proclaiming. But Jesus also does stuff. He does Spirit-fueled, earthy stuff. He heals in this case, right? Healing is just a manifestation of kind of God's gifts being brought to bear to bring bodies, to make bodies well, right? That's just very earthy. Not just teaching, not just head knowledge, actually helping people to be healthier, doing really earthy stuff. Physical healing is bringing the resources of God to bear to make bodies whole. Now, not all of us have the gift of physical healing. Maybe you do, maybe you actually have a gift of healing. Just haven't tried it out yet. I want to invite you to ask God to show you what your gifts are and put them to use. But whenever any of us comes to faith in Jesus, we're given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit releases gifts in us and through us to make a difference here in the world. We'll put it this way. A spiritual gift is a resource from God given to do spirit-fueled earthy stuff. A spiritual gift, just a gift from God, a resource of God poured into your heart, given to you. To do spirit-fueled, earthy kind of things. And that spirit-fueled, earthy stuff might mean something as simple as you have the spiritual gift of spreadsheets. And you build a spreadsheet to coordinate dog walking for your neighbor who's in the hospital. Spirit-fueled, earthy stuff. Your spiritual gift might be you just love to bake meals and bring a meal over to someone who's in trouble. Your spiritual gift might mean you just love to come alongside and take someone out to coffee who's struggling. Your spiritual gift might be you love to practice radical hospitality, inviting people into your home into your life. Your spiritual gift might be you offer to pray for someone, a coworker, a, a classmate, a, a friend, a neighbor who's struggling. Maybe they're, they're even far from God and you're like, hey, can I just pray for you? That's my, I know this isn't really kind of how you roll, but can I just pray? I believe that God might want to bring peace to your heart. 
Maybe that's the gift you offer. Maybe your spiritual gift is you share your faith with someone who doesn't know the Lord. You're just bringing your gift of evangelism. Or maybe you have a gift of teaching and encouraging. You're just going to come alongside someone who's younger in the faith. Or maybe someone, a kid who's struggling to learn to read. And you're just going to come alongside them and release, bring that spiritual gift to bear. To do spirit-fueled, very earthy, very concrete things. We said earlier, Chatham serves us next Sunday. So 8.30, breakfast. We're not doing a normal worship service. We are just going out to serve. For 16 years, Chatham Community Church has poured tens and tens of thousands of dollars and thousands and thousands and thousands of work hours to do spirit-fueled, very earthy things. Clean Clean up yards, make school campuses more beautiful, repair roofs, fix houses, clean up debris. And Chatham Serves is just the public part of it, just the public-facing part of it. Beyond Chatham Serves, man, for 16 years, Chatham Community Church has brought all kinds of people's gifts and abilities to go and make a difference in our community in very practical, concrete, earthy kind of ways. Here's what we see Jesus do. Jesus does these three things. Jesus goes, he went, he goes about. He doesn't camp out in Jerusalem. He doesn't wait. He proclaims the good news of of the kingdom, and he's doing very earthy kind of work. So here's what we're doing as a church. We're going to go, just like Jesus did, we're going to proclaim the good news of God's kingdom. And any, in any way where it's appropriate and opportunity opens, we're going to declare the good news of God's tremendous love for us in Jesus. We're going to invite people to organize their lives according to God's kingdom and God's values. And then we're going to do spirit-fueled, earthy, practical stuff to put a dent in darkness or chaos or disorder in any way we possibly can. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. So in light of what Jesus did and in light of what he calls us to do, I just want to ask you a question. What does it look like for you and us as a church to go, to proclaim, to declare the good news of the kingdom, and to do spirit-fueled, earthy stuff? That is to take God's resources, pour it into your heart, doesn't have to be crazy. It could be spreadsheets. It could just be coming alongside someone to, to take God's resources and bring them to bear to make a dent in the brokenness in the world. To make a dent in the disorder and the chaos and the darkness in the world. That's how Jesus went. It's the kind of church we want to be. As we continually ask God the Father, what next? Who next? Where next? Now, as Jesus travels from town to town... There's something very telling about how he engages with people and how he sees people that Matthew describes starting in verse 36. He describes Jesus this way. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were, like, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Well... It is October here in the Greater Triangle Metro Area. And October in the Greater Triangle Metro Area introduces one of the most contentious and polarizing events in the whole calendar year. And of course I'm talking about the State Fair. The State Fair. How many of you love the State Fair? How many of you love the State Fair? Like it is magical. I see you people. You are my people. How many of you hate the State Fair with a red hot passion? Yes, I see you too. There will be marriage counseling for houses divided along these lines after the service, okay? State Fair. Some of us love the State Fair. I mean, the rides, the animals, the, the food, that deep fried food. They deep fry more things than you could ever hope imagine. I think we're going to deep fry butter on a stick next. I think that's what's coming next. So much fun. So good. Others of you hate the State Fair with a white hot passion. And it's not just the disease riddled animals that you hate. Nor is it just the cheap rides that popped up in 20 minutes held together by duct tape. And you're like, why would they do this? 
Nor is it even that you're a big food snob and like you actually like your arteries. You don't want to clog them. The real dividing line between who loves the state fair and who hates the state fair is how do you feel about crowds? And if you hate crowds, you're going to hate the overcrowded state fair. And if you don't mind crowds, and if you actually kind of get a happy buzz out of a happy buzz of a crowd, you're going to kind of enjoy the state fair. Now, I don't know how Jesus would feel about the state fair. Scripture is strangely quiet on the important issues sometimes. But we do know how Jesus saw crowds. And when Jesus saw these crowds, he had compassion on them because they are like sheep without a shepherd, lost, harassed, helpless. How Jesus sees crowds, totally unique, totally different. He sees the crowds. He doesn't see them as a nuisance. Like, man, I could get so much more ministry done if it wasn't for all these people. He doesn't see them as something getting in the way of something else he wants to do. Uh, I'd rather be doing my hobbies or doing something else. He doesn't see the crowd and feel overwhelmed by their needs. He doesn't like shut down just because it's so overwhelming and all these needs he feels flooded. He, he doesn't feel the need to sort of build a platform like, oh, look at all these followers. I can build a mass crowd and be, be more popular and build my platform. He doesn't see them any way like this. He sees them in a totally unique way, harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. They're under the rule of Rome, thousands of miles away. Nothing they can do about that. They're under a local ruler who's a puppet government who's probably a narcissist. Not much they can do about that either. All this noise above them. And then there's the religious leaders, also all this noise above them. And some of the religious leaders say, hey, if we can't beat Rome, let's join in with Rome and just be kind of, come play along with Rome. That's what some religious leaders are saying. And other religious leaders are saying, no way, we need to reject Rome as much as possible. Get as spiritual as possible, as religious as possible, as strict as possible. And maybe God will move and drive out the hated Romans. All this noise overhead they can do nothing about. Ever feel like that? Government, politics, all the stuff they can do nothing about. They're just harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. The complete opposite of what it looks like to be resilient people in a resilient community. So Jesus has compassion on these people because they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed and helpless. And so I got to ask you, how do you see people? Not huge crowds necessarily, just twos, threes, fours. How do you see people and can you ask the Lord to give you his eyes to see people, his heart to see people? Here's how Jesus conducted himself. Soft heart, firm boundaries. Soft heart, firm boundaries. He didn't meet every need. He didn't stay and stay and stay and stay and make sure everyone was healed, everyone was fed. Soft heart, firm boundaries. He was able to say no, able to leave the crowds, able to detach from the crowds. He had a soft heart, compassion, love, firm boundaries. Can you see people the way that Jesus sees them? And can you learn to be his hands, his feet, to see them the way that Jesus did. And so he sees this crowd, harassed and helpless. And Jesus has his own crowd that he's traveling with. At least 70 people, maybe more, who are traveling with him from town to town to town. This huge crowd of disciples. And Jesus turns to that crowd of 70 or more disciples and says this, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So everywhere Jesus goes, Jesus went, Jesus went, Jesus went. And everywhere he goes, he sees People who are ass and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so he says, hey, pray to God that he raises up more people to go, just like I'm going. Pray to God that he might raise up more workers to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, just like I'm doing. And then to do crazy, earthy stuff to bring healing to a broken world. 
Now, at this point in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus has been traveling for months and months and months doing this teaching ministry. And he's got this big crowd of followers, disciples, who are following him along the way. But Jesus hasn't picked out the 12 yet. All the way to Matthew 9, Matthew 10, before he picks out the 12. And from this crowd of 70, Jesus picks out the 12 months and months and months into his ministry. And here's what Jesus did. Jesus called the 12 to him. And gave them authority to drive out impure spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. And then he lists all the 12 disciples, which we'll skip for today. To these 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any of the town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received, so freely give. You know, there's a, a couple of ways to learn something new, especially something really complicated. One way to learn something new is to map out step-by-step -step instructions, right? Someone teaches you step-by-step -step how to do this thing. Another way to learn something new is someone takes you to the deep end of the pool and pushes you in and hope you swim. This thing that Jesus is doing with his disciples is a little, a little bit of a throw them in the deep end of the pool and see if they swim. Now, Jesus has been traveling and teaching for months and months, a crowd of 70, kind of following along with him. He picks out 12 followers. What is the very first thing Jesus wants the 12 people to do? He wants the 12 followers to go. What is the wildly important take home for the 12 disciples? Going is what they are called to do. In fact, the word apostles literally means sent ones. The apostles are sent ones. And Jesus sends them out to go and do exactly what he has just done. And notice what he's sending them out to do. He says, listen, I want you to go, just like Jesus went. I want you to proclaim the kingdom message, the good news, just like Jesus was proclaiming the good news. And then I want you to do crazy, earthy, spirit-fueled kind of stuff. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and drive out demons. That's a whole new fun layer, demons. Yeah, let's get rid of those guys. All of these... Sickness, death, lepers, demons, these are all signs of the kingdom of darkness, signs of the kingdom of death. And Jesus says, I'm sending you out with spiritual authority on a mission to go displace the kingdom of death with the kingdom of God. I'm sending you out as my followers to go and proclaim the truth that sets people free. And then I want you to demonstrate the truth. Demonstrate the power of the kingdom by healing sickness, raising the dead, and destroying the evil one. And destroying darkness. This is what it means to be my followers. To go and do what I have been doing. One of my most consistent prayers for 2023 has been this, that Chatham Community Church would be a spiritually disruptive force across Chatham County. Spiritually disruptive force. That is, that God would give us the Holy Spirit to do Jesus' stuff. Spiritually disruptive. Again, that's just using the resources of heaven to displace the kingdom of darkness, to bring the kingdom of light to bear in whatever way we possibly can. That means we will go and that will... And that will help, help hungry people, will feed hungry people, will come alongside lonely people, and will pray over them. And that we would go, that the, God, that the Lord might give us the Holy Spirit, that we might break some of the signs of darkness in our community. Wouldn't it be great if there were fewer people addicted in Chatham County? Addiction is so demonic. It's so dark. It's a sign of the spirit of darkness and evil. Wouldn't it be fantastic if fewer people were addicted to alcohol, drugs, pornography, gambling across Chatham County? Come, Lord Jesus. Give us the Holy Spirit. Give us power to deliver us from the demon of addiction. 
There are cycles of abuse that repeat over and over and over again from generation. Kids who are abused or see abuse tend to become abusers. Wouldn't it be great if there were fewer women and children beaten up in Chatham County because the demon of abuse and generational cycles of abuse were broken by the power of Jesus, the power of the kingdom, the power of grace and mercy? Wouldn't it be great if people who are lost, struggling, trapped in anger or apathy, cynicism or ambivalence, trapped in too much success, or trapped in too much failure, if all of them heard the good news of the God who loved them so much, he sent his son to die on a cross, to wash away sins, to break the cycles of darkness and brokenness, and to usher them into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. My prayer for us is that Chatham Community Church would be a spiritually disruptive force all across Chatham County, that we would be stepping in and going just like he went and declaring the good news of God's salvation and his rescue and his power and demonstrating that any way we possibly can, any door God would open up for us to do so, so that God's kingdom might be coming and God's will might be done on earth in Chatham County as it is in heaven. So Jesus sends out these 12 disciples. He just called them and he's shoving them into the deep end of the pool. Go. But he actually puts the floaties on. Here's Jesus putting the floaties on, right? Jesus puts the floaties on. He says, hey, listen, don't go among the Gentiles or to any of the towns of the Samaritans. Go to the lost sheep of Israel. In other words, go to what you know. Go to who you know. You don't know the Gentiles. You don't understand the Samaritans. You, but these people, the, the Jewish people, you speak their language. You study the scriptures. You know how they think, how they feel. Jesus says, just go to the people that you know. That's the training wheels on the go, right? Go to what's familiar. Go to what you know. This is the first time Jesus says, go. And a couple years later, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he's going to appear to 11 of these same 12 guys, and he's going to give them a different go. His go here at the end of Matthew, several years later, after much training and more time with Jesus, is go make disciples of who? All the nations. Training wheels are off, kids. Time to go. Floaties are off, kids. Time to swim. And if you follow the story in the book of Acts, here's what happens in the book of Acts. They struggle with this. You know what they do? They camp out in Jerusalem, and they stay in Jerusalem for months and months and months, and maybe a year, maybe a couple years. You know why? Because every community has a natural drift to be inward-facing. Circle the wagons. Make sure we are okay. They spend months and months and months just hanging out in Jerusalem, thinking that's how you become a resilient community, because it's vulnerable and not safe to be a Christian. And then persecution breaks out, and they stumblingly, falteringly make their way outside Jerusalem, and they eventually do finally go to all the nations. It takes them a long time, but they eventually do. And you know what's happened since then? Persecution. Opposition. All kinds of things. The, the church should have never made it out of the first century except this. Except that a community that is outward facing turns out to be way more resilient than a community that's inward facing, isn't it? You know how easy it would have been to kill the church if they'd all been in Jerusalem? Over. Done. Easy. You know how hard it's been to kill the church for 2,000 years when it's spread out all around the nations? It turns out that a church that is outward facing is way more resilient than a church that is inward facing because that's how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God works that we become more and more resilient, not by inwardly circling the wagons and hoarding our resources. Uh, the kingdom of God works that we are more resilient as we face outward and say, God, who's next? What next? How might we be an answer? How might we be an answer to your kingdom come, your will being done in our community as it is in heaven? Jesus shows us what this looks like. And that's today's wildly important take home as we close this morning. An outward facing, being an outward facing is one of the counterintuitive ways we build a resilience creating church 
community. This is not the most natural math. The most natural math is circle the wagons, kind of hoard the resources, make sure we're going to be okay. But in God's economy, he invites us to be a resilience-creating community. As we say, we're going to take care of each other. We are family. We're committed to that. And then we say, how might we turn around and look outside and be a part of what God's doing all around us? Here's what Jesus did. What we see Jesus doing is he goes, he proclaims, and he does spirit-fueled, earthy stuff. Question for you, what does it mean for you and for us to go, to be sent ones, to be people who are facing out and looking out there and saying, God, where would you have us to go? How would you have us to serve? What does it look like for you and for us to proclaim the kingdom wherever God already has you? You are already sent somewhere. You're sent to a workplace. You're sent to a school, middle school, high school. You're sent to a neighborhood. You're sent to a community. You are in a family. What does it mean to live as sent ones, proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom, and then doing God's stuff, spirit-fueled, earthy stuff, taking whatever resources God's given to you, and then sharing those, bringing those to bear anywhere there's brokenness or need or wherever, anywhere there's beauty or opportunity to do so. What does it look like for you and for us to be doing that more regularly? What would it look like for that to be a prayer that you rehearse and recite over and over and over again? And of course, some of this comes down to how do you see people? Are you willing to ask the Lord to give you his eyes to see the people around you, his heart for the people around you? Because how you feel about the crowds, the people around you is going to sort of very much dictate how you approach them and how you deal with them. And then finally, next Sunday, Chatham serves. That's just spirit-fueled, earthy stuff, pushing back darkness, contributing to God's kingdom coming, God's will being done in our community all around us as it is in heaven. If you haven't yet served up for a pro signed up for a project, if you're not yet a part of the Chatham Service Five, we invite you just to come. It's just one small expression of us actually being the people of Jesus, loving the people around us as he does and as he did. And my prayer is that we might step into that work as God's people, recognizing that as we serve, as we go, just like he did, it contributes to us building up this inner strength and a more resilient core. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thanks for going. Thanks for pursuing people. Thanks for pursuing us. Thank you for the good news that you proclaim, God's kingdom, and the power and the glory and the goodness of that kingdom. Lord Jesus, wherever we are out of alignment from your kingdom, we pray that you would wake us up to that and make us more in line, our thinking and our actions. Would we map our lives according to your right-side-up kingdom in an upside-down world? And then, Lord Jesus, as we go... As we go from this place individually and then next Sunday as we go into Chatham County and beyond to make a difference using the resources you've given to us to engage wherever there's need around us, would that be holy work? Would that be worship to you? Just as much worship as when we gather together on Sunday mornings, sing songs, look at scriptures, would we also be worshiping as we go and do spirit-fueled, earthy stuff, a part of your kingdom going forward? in our community, would this be an expression of us becoming a spiritually disruptive presence, force across Chatham County for the sake of your great name. And we pray in that name. Amen. Amen.